friends, this is Pastor Bill Clark. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, friends, are the first two words I begin each message that I get the privilege to share each Sunday. I get to tell my friends about the greatest friend, Jesus Christ. I also consider friends to be one of the greatest gifts a person can have in this earthly life. Most of the episodes will be messages I share each Sunday, but from time to time, I'll invite a friend to share some of their life with us over a beverage. I pray these episodes bless you and help you on this journey of life. God's blessings to you, friend. This is a message I shared at Timothy Lutheran Church on Sunday, March 5th. It's on chapter 22 of the story, The Birth of the King. Let us pray. Lord, I ask once again that you speak to me this morning. Lord, that words may, may the words that come from my mouth give honor to you and your holy word. Please guide me with your words to send and equip this flock to grow your family and show your love. I ask all of us in the name of our crucified Savior who died and rose for our sins. Amen. Hello, friends. Well, today if you take notes, there's going to be a lot of them. I'm going to tell you that. There's a lot to cover in chapter 22 of the story. My wife just looked at me. Yeah. There's a lot here to unpack. As I said, uh, the first chapter of John could be a sermon series in itself. And we're going to see why. So as I said today in our welcome, we literally turn the page today from the Old Testament to the New Testament and the story. Many have called the Old Testament the First Testament, meaning it points to the coming of Jesus and the Gospel message. As we move through the Old Testament, we see now, time after time, God was pointing to the New Testament. God did this through those whose lower story became part of God's upper story. From Adam and Eve in Genesis to the prophet Malachi, we saw God on a constant pursuit of His people. The good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is proof of God's constant, unending pursuit. And He's still in pursuit in each and every one of us. His children here on earth, and He will not stop. I said this last week, but I want to say it again. When we Two things that's really stood out to me as we've gone through the story so far. God has not changed. God has never stopped pursuing and loving His people. Last week we ended the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi. And he left us with some words that made the people uncomfortable. You have to remember the people were living in comfort at this time in Jerusalem and Judea. Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets, and now we enter a time of silence where God's going to be silent. The exact years are 430 to 2 B.C. 428 years to be exact. But these four centuries were anything but silent for the Israelites in Jerusalem and Judah. Now we know we studied in the last couple chapters that under the Persian rule, the Israelites are allowed to return to Jerusalem and build the altar there. They build the temple and they build a wall around the city. 
The Persians rule over Judah for the next hundred years, from 430 to 332 B.C. And then the Persian Empire is defeated by the Macedonians and Alexander the Great. So under the rule of Alexander the Great, there's plans to unite this new empire by spreading of the Greek language and culture. Now it's not done forcefully under Alexander, but then after he dies, the new Macedonian rulers forcefully oppose the religion of the Judeans and outlaw their practices. For example, they're no longer to have scriptures in Hebrew, the language of Moses. The new rulers also erected a statue of the Greek god Zeus in the Jerusalem temple court. They sacrificed a pig on its altar and insisted that the priests participate in pagan sacrifices. Around the year 63 B.C., the Roman Empire is established and they get control over Judah and they rule there until 637 A.D. 700 years. This is just a glimpse of the turmoil that's taking place in Judah and the region. And now the people haven't heard from God in a long time. These experiences left this remnant, this remainder of the people of Israel and Judah, longing for a powerful, victorious king. A Messiah they kept hearing about in the Old Testament. And they haven't heard anything for a long time. So when we begin chapter 22 of the story, we start with the Gospel of John. John 1, 1-19. through Now if you've noticed anything about the Gospels, the Gospel of John starts much different than the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now remember the Gospels are witness accounts of the life ministry of Jesus through the eyes of four men. Four men that Jesus chose. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar in their readings. And we call those the synoptic Gospels because they're similar. But the Gospel of John is different. The Gospels of Matthew and Luke start with the coming birth of Jesus. At Christmas, we usually read the Gospel of Luke. It's the most detailed account of his birth. The Gospel of Mark starts out with John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. But in the Gospel of John, we read a section that's titled, The Word Became Flesh. There's a prologue that sums up the contents of the entire Gospel. Now, it's widely accepted by many scholars that Mark wrote his Gospel first. And then, Matthew and Luke wrote their Gospels not long thereafter. Those three Gospels were written between the years of 50 and 60 A.D. And remember, the Roman Emperor Nero, who ruthlessly persecuted the church during his reign, was emperor at this time. Matthew, Mark, and Luke write their Gospel accounts because they fear The end of their life is near. And they wanted others, including us, to know about the ministry, life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But John's Gospel is much different than the other three Gospels. John's Gospel is written 90 A.D., 40 years after the other three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were killed and died a martyr's death under Nero. 
John is the only apostle to die a natural death. You see, John knew that Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already, been, had already written their Gospels about Jesus. But after John has his revelation experience, he then writes his Gospel. Some say John is almost 90 years old when he writes all this. When John writes his Gospel, he already has the end in mind. He has seen the revelation. He writes Revelation first. Then he writes his three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he writes his Gospel last. Also remember that John was the disciple that was closest to Jesus. Now all the apostles had a special relationship with Jesus. But John's relationship with Jesus was very special. All this gives us insight as to why the Gospel of John is different than the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So the beginning of the, of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. There's a literary term, it's called a meta-narrative. So this section is a meta-narrative. You see, on the surface, the Bible may appear to be this collection of stories about what God has done. Or some say the Bible is a collection of narratives that are separate narratives, but they weave together to form one grand story. There is a greater unity that binds these stories into a bigger story. Just as each book of the Bible has themes that weave the ideas of the books together into one story, so the Bible does as a whole. The larger themes are called a meta-narrative. A meta-narrative is this overarching storyline that flows throughout all the books of the Bible, tying them together in one grand story, like sequels in a series. So one could say that the different books of the Bible are merely acts in the greater play of the Bible. So John 1, 1 through 18, a mere 18 verses, the Apostle John ties together the teachings from the books of Genesis up until the birth of Jesus here on earth. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In catechism class, when we read this verse, I ask the kids, you notice the word, word, is capitalized? Why? This is a reference by John to the deity of God from the very beginning. Even from the creation in Genesis, the word is capitalized because it's referring to Jesus. Jesus was with God from the very beginning. Jesus wasn't something that was brought, thought up by God or response to the people during the Old Testament or the, during the 400 years of silence. And then John writes in second verse, He was in the beginning with God. Again, John is writing of the deity of the triune God. Jesus was with God from the very beginning and he's restating what he already wrote in verse 1. And then John goes on to relate creation of the earth and the different events of the Old Testament to tie all the narratives together in his gospel. And then we get to John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of truth and grace. The Word, that is the Son of God. Assumed, he assumed human nature in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the one true Christ. 
True God, true man. And remember what I said last week. Jesus is 100% man, and he's 100% God. That's bad math, right? But it's great theology. When the Word became human, his divine essence did not change. But because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Jesus was born without original sin. The original sin that's in all of our DNA. Passed down from our parents to us, and we passed them down to our kids, and our kids passed them down to our grandkids, and generation after generation. Jesus Christ is the only human born without original sin. John writes that God became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember our readings through the story. In the Old Testament, God revealed his glory in the tabernacle. The tabernacle is where God dwelt with his people. It's where he came to be with his people. When Christ took on flesh, God dwelt. Or he tabernacled among his people. God's glory was manifest in Jesus Christ throughout his entire ministry. Especially when Jesus submits to the cross. So where does God tabernacle now? Where does God reside now? In you. God is still with His people. See, Christ has been as long as God has been. So our question is, how long has that been? We don't know, is the answer. See, when we ask that question, we put God and Jesus on the same level as us. We as humans have a beginning. We can point to our birthday, right? We can point to a time we began our lives here on earth. But it's not the same for God. We don't know. But you know what? I think that's the way that God wants it. Because what we don't know about God, but we believe because of faith. So how did God create the universe? With words. Let there be. And there was. Bang! Right? God spoke, and the universe took shape, and it banged as it did. Paul would later say that Jesus was the firstborn over all creation. Peter agreed. God chose him for the purpose long before the world began. So with all these writers agreeing that Jesus' first blush with earth was not in Bethlehem, we wonder, did we see him already in the Old Testament? Was that Jesus wrestling with Jacob? Was that Jesus when Joshua was near Jericho and he fell on his face and worshipped the one who called himself the commander of the army of the Lord? Was that Jesus when Abraham gave offerings to the priest named Melchizedek? And that fourth figure in the fiery furnace was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Is that Jesus? Jesus was with Abraham. He's with Jacob. He was with Joshua. He was with Meshach, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And now Jesus dwelt among us. In the first chapter of John, he ties together all these pieces of God's Word and ties them into this meta-narrative. He gives us even greater insight into our God and in doing so, adds even more to the greatest story of all time. 
So in the story, after we read the prologue of John, we go and read the birth account of Jesus. The same account we read just a couple months ago as we celebrated the birth of Jesus at Christmas. But as I read this account this week, I can now see so much more clarity in the fulfillment of the prophets and the scriptures of the Old Testament and the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew is going to quote the Old Testament 47 times in his 28 chapters of his Gospel account. So many words and prophecies about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament, and every single one of them came true in the birth of Jesus Christ. Being from the lineage of David, born in Bethlehem, being born of a virgin are just a few. And some of these words were spoken 700 years before they happened. The Messiah is born in Bethlehem. So God is no longer speaking through His people, but God is now incarnate in the flesh and with us right here on earth, living and speaking to us directly. But unlike a movie or a story series that has twists and turns with the next movie or book, we now have a complete narrative of God's Word in the Old Testament, the First Testament, and the New Testament. We know the entire story. There is nothing left to chance. Nothing left to guess. In God's constant pursuit of His people, He gave everything. He gave us His one and only Son. An innocent man who took the punishment for each and every one of us. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We as humans are reluctant. Reluctant to do things for others. Even those who we love and hold dear to us. When it comes to human love, it's fair to say that it comes in different degrees. For instance, I was thinking, if you love someone just a little bit, you might be willing to help carry their groceries or get their mail when they're out of town. If you have great love for someone, you might be help to care for them when they're sick or help them move into a new home. The greatest demonstration of love, however, is to lay down your life for someone else. There's no greater sacrifice one can make for another. But we have a hard time accepting the servant role. The servant role that Jesus came to fulfill when He died for us. Even though so often we can be unloving, and unlovable people. Christ didn't die for those who were close to Him or for those who were good, led a good life. Christ died for all sinners. That is grace. The greatest narrative ever recorded. That's a big deal. This past Wednesday, one of our members passed away. Lois Jackson went to the arms of Jesus after almost a two-month stay in the hospital. Now, probably most of you don't know Lois. She goes to 1030 service. She's been a member here at Timothy the last few years. She led a pretty quiet life. Her husband died four or five years ago, and she doesn't have any children. She has a few siblings, but they're spread out throughout the country. Lois worked here at Sam's Club, worked at Sam's Club here in Council Bluffs. As I said, she usually came to the 1030 service. She sat with her friend Karen, the same friend who invited her to church. 
after her husband died because she was feeling lonely. Before Lois died, she told her brother and her friend Karen not to make a big deal out of anything after she died. She didn't want a visitation. She didn't want a funeral. Her only request was to be cremated and have her ashes spread with her husband. See, Lois didn't feel like she was a big deal because of the way she led her life and the status she held in society. But respectfully, Lois, I disagree with you. You are a big deal. Not because I say so, because God says so. Very words of Jesus we read this morning. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Lois was a big enough deal to God that He Himself became a baby and lived the same human life we lived. You think about it. God could have stayed in heaven and ruled from there. God could have come into our lives any way He wanted to. God could have came as a king and ruled over us. But God came as a baby and lived the same life we lived. Jesus experienced everything we do in this broken world. And then Jesus took all the sins of this broken world on himself on the cross and defeated sin and Satan. All because he loves each one of us. God did that for Lois. And God did that for each one of us. God did that because he loves us. God did that because he pursues us. God did that because you, each one of you, are a big deal to him. Each one of you are a big deal to God. The flock at Timothy Lutheran Church that I have called to shepherd, you are also a big deal to me. Now, each one of you are different. I'll give you that. But each one of you are a big deal to me. So please don't tell me you're not. You matter to God and you matter to me. You are a big deal. God says so. Look at our journey through the story. All that God has done for His people since the day He created Adam and Eve. Time after time, God telling His people they are a big deal to Him. The entire journey we've taken through the story so far, Genesis up to the birth of Jesus, has been God on a constant pursuit of His people. Time after time, His people let God down. And what did God do? He calls them back again and again and again. God didn't have to do that. God wanted to do that because we are a big deal to Him. After 400 years of silence, God is now going to speak to us directly by wearing the same skin we wear on earth. Going through some trials, the same trials and troubles that we go through. That's a big deal. We know the end of the story. We know that Jesus will win a victory over Satan when John and Peter find the tomb empty on Easter Sunday. The price of sin is paid and our guarantee of eternity has been delivered. Lois believed that. I know she did. That's what makes each one of us a big deal to God. That is all that God wants from us. To have faith in Him and believe in Him. 
Our time here on earth is temporary. Our eternity is forever. Our address here is just for a short time. We have an address with our name waiting for us in heaven. Given to us by God because of His grace and His love. And through that grace and His love, He sent the Messiah for us all. I've used this quote at Jack's funeral. Billy Graham died five years ago this week. First time I really dived into Billy Graham and I read this quote. First time five years ago. Someday you'll read and hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just change my address. I have gone into the presence of God. That's a big deal. Billy Graham believed that each one of us were a big deal to God. Now some people held Billy Graham up as a big deal because of his success they saw in his ministry. But Billy didn't see it that way. Most people that knew Billy Graham said his greatest virtue was humility. I believe Billy Graham counseled every president from Eisenhower to Barack Obama. He's spoken in front of over 200 million people. But he always demanded that everyone just call him Billy. Because he never thought of himself higher than others. What mattered to Billy Graham? What was the big deal for Billy Graham? All that mattered was Jesus. Billy Graham preached a very simple message about the cross of Jesus Christ for most of his entire life. The gospel message of Jesus, of the, the message of the gospel was the heart of his ministry. You see, he understood the brevity of life, and he knew when it's all said and done, our relationship with Christ is all that matters. That was the big deal. Over 200 million people heard from Billy Graham. There's only going to be one Billy Graham. If we have to compare ourselves to others, we'll never measure up. We will think, eh, I'm not much of a big deal. Lois, you may not thought you were much of a big deal, but God thinks otherwise. <clears throat> and so do your friends here at church. So tomorrow, there will be a visitation for Lois at Hoy's funeral home from 3 to 5 o'clock. So our friends could say goodbye, but more importantly, we could be reminded through the faith of Lois that each one of us are a big deal to God. That's a big deal. See, the title of this chapter was Jesus, the birth of the King. This wasn't a birth of a king. He is the king of kings. What's the big deal about Jesus? Jesus is the solution to our problem. He is the solution to the human condition. He is the solution to the sin of this world. He is the solution that defeated evil. He is the solution that guarantee our lives do not end this side of eternity. Jesus is the solution that guaranteed we don't have to live in hell for our sins. Jesus is the guarantee that each and every one of us get to live in eternity with God our Father because each and every one of us are a big deal to God. 
There'll never be another Jesus. He is the King. The King of our lives whom we worship. The King of our lives who gives us comfort. The King of our lives who wants us to know you're a big deal. Lois knows now she's a big deal to God. She knows in ways that we can't even imagine. And someday, each and every one of us will know just how big of a deal we are to God. We'll know when we're greeted, given a new address by God, and welcomed into His presence. Amen. Thank you once again for listening to Hello Friends. If you have any questions about anything that we share on our podcast, any of the sermons, anything in God's Word, His teachings, please get a hold of me. I'd love to have a conversation. God bless.